Hi, my name's Ryan Perry. I'm the pastor at Seneca Baptist Church, and we are so thankful that you're joining us in this online resource. Our prayer for you is that this resource would not replace your active involvement in a local body of Christ, but would rather be supplemental to it. If you are interested in getting further connected to the ministry of Seneca Baptist Church or to giving financially, please visit our website, SenecaBaptist.org. Thank you and enjoy. Take your Bible, grab it, open it this morning to 2 Peter chapter 1. 2 Peter chapter 1. And if you're our guest today, let me just tell you again how thankful we are that you are here with us. Uh, Truly, you bless us by uh, being a part of what God's doing here at Seneca Baptist, and so thank you for that. And if you haven't already, there's a guest connect card in the pew rack in front of you. Grab one of those, fill it out, and after the service is over, I'd love to meet you. You can give that to me, or at our Welcome Center, we would give you a gift, and we'd love to do that. Um, This morning, we're continuing to preach through the vision that God has given us at Seneca Baptist, and we are on week four And let me just do a recap with you. And so I think we have uh, all of the vision points up on the screen. And so if you'll recap with me. Number one vision point is we desire to be a church that reflects heaven. A multi-generational, multi-ethnic group of worshipers who are captivated by and surrendered to Jesus. And I hope that's your heart today. That you want to be captivated by Him and surrendered to Him. Second bullet point is that we desire to be a family where broken lives can encounter the healing power of Jesus. Vision point three, we desire to declare God's word through singing, preaching, and evangelism. This was last week. We believe it's our responsibility and privilege to share the good news of Jesus wherever we go. Vision point number four, in today's message, we desire to become fully devoted disciples of Jesus who are being transformed to look more like Jesus and are committed to knowing and obeying the Bible, loving one another, and making disciples of all nations. If that's not a mouthful today, I don't know what is. Number five, we desire to train the next generation of pastors, church planters, missionaries, parents, and professionals who will serve their communities and point others to Jesus. Six, We desire to deploy people to the edges of Oconee County and to the end of the world as ambassadors of Christ, armed with the gospel and filled with the Spirit. Vision point seven, we desire to sow the gospel seed to thousands of people every year and help people who are far from God trust Jesus, join the SBC family, and enter into a process of discipleship. And last, but always definitely not least, we desire to see Jesus glorified in all that we do. So that's our vision. Uh, Our mission is to help every person become a more devoted disciple of Jesus. Simple as that. We're talking about that this morning. And our strategy that we use here at Seneca Baptist to do that is to declare, disciple, and deploy. Declare the gospel, disciple the believer, and deploy the church. Now, I just need to ask a question. Are you guys tired of hearing that just yet? Good, because that means we're finally getting it into us. If you're tired of hearing it, just imagine how Jackson and I and Christopher and I, we all talk about this all day, every day, but we want to get these things ingrained into who we are. Why? Because we want the decisions that we make moving forward as a church to be filtered through 
these vision points, our mission and our strategy, so that we say, um, how does it fit? Well, it doesn't. Well, then maybe it doesn't need to. And so that's kind of our desire moving forward, that this would guide us in decision-making and help us move forward into who God wants us to be. Now, we, uh, I want to read some Scripture, and then I want to pray. All right? Read Scripture, and then pray. Would you join me? 2 Peter chapter 1, beginning in verse 3. Everybody there? Amen? All right, good. His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness. Through the knowledge of Him who called us to His own glory and excellence, by which He has granted to us His precious and very great promises, so that through them you may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped from the corruption that's in the world because of sinful desire. Verse 5, For this very reason make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue, and virtue with knowledge, and knowledge with self-control, and self-control with steadfastness, and steadfastness with godliness, and godliness with brotherly affection, and brotherly affection with love. For if these qualities are yours and are increasing, they keep you from being ineffective or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. For whoever lacks these qualities is so nearsighted that he's blind, having forgotten that he was cleansed from his former sins. Verse 10, Therefore, brothers, be all the more diligent to confirm your calling and election. For if you practice these qualities, you will never fall. For in this way, there will be richly provided for you an entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. So, today, vision point number four. Let me read it again, and then we'll pray. We desire to become fully devoted disciples of Jesus, who are being transformed to look more like Jesus and are committed to knowing and obeying the Bible, loving one another, and making disciples of all nations. So today, let's be honest as we start. How many of you out there would say, I am fully devoted and I am fully transformed? It, don't please don't raise your hand. Uh, that would not be a good opportunity, right? We uh, who are looking at you would know immediately that he ain't there yet, right? None of us. And so just just note that nobody's hand went up when they said, "I'm fully devoted, and I, I have been baked fully. I'm not half baked, Christian. I'm a full baked." Nobody has said that. So this morning you're in good company. Isn't that encouraging? Paul says it this way, he says, the one who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Christ Jesus. And so, be encouraged, you're not alone. And as Jackson said, we're all works in progress, and that's just good news. That's good news. So, if you come today and you go, I'm, I'm not there yet, let's confess our needs, let's bring them to the Father, and let's trust that He will work in us and through us. Are you with me? Amen. Let's pray together. We just sang this song, Father, Have Thine Own Way, Lord. Have Thine Own Way. Thou art the potter, I am the clay. Mold me and make me after Thy will, while I am waiting, yielded and still. Have Thine Own Way, Lord, have Thine Own Way. 
Search me and try me, Master, today. Whiter than snow, Lord, wash me just now, as in thy presence humbly I bow. Father, we could continue. We are wounded, so heal us. Touch me and heal me, Savior divine. Hold over our beings absolute sway. Fill with thy spirit till all shall see Christ only always living in me. That is our prayer today. So, Father, if there's anybody who is a work in progress, encourage us today, challenge us today. And, Father, if there's anyone here lost and separated from Christ, still under the curse of Adam, uh, our old nature still alive and well, Father, today would you save them by your grace and draw them from death into life, in, from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of your beloved Son. Do it, and do it for your glory, we pray in Jesus' name. And everybody said? Amen. 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 So today, today's sermon I want to call birthmarks of a Christian. Birthmarks of a Christian, or birthmarks of a disciple. Now, there are, and you probably know this as parents, there are telling um, characteristics of children. How many of you have children uh, that look like you, right? You had, you had a child, that child looks like you or bears some uh, marks of being your child. Are you with me? Some might have your chin, right? Some might have your smile, some might have your eyes, some might have our noses. Lord bless them, right, if they've got my nose. Um, and some might even have your personality. And at that moment you go, God help us all, right? The world only needs one of me. But they might have your personalities. Liz and I have a running joke that we'll look at each other and we'll go, you know who that is? And we blame it on the other person, right? It's, it's you, right? But your children and grandchildren might be like mine, where they have distinguishing marks that I can tell they belong to me and that makes them distinct. Now, if Sutton were to get lost and there were to be a hundred Suttons around, the hundred uh, seven-year-olds that look like him, he has a mole in his armpit. Don't tell him I told you that. You're going to see him at the lake this afternoon and you're going to go, oh, I saw it. Um, Miles, I could pick Miles out in the crowd, dark, 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 almost black eyes. I've never seen eyes like his before in my life. I could pick him, and, and just the fluffiness of the, the dew. Ella has a white birthmark on her rear end. And, and I could tell if that's her or not. She knows that she's got that birthmark. See, I know they're mine because of the marks they bear. They all have defining marks that make them distinguishable from others. And so we also, as disciples of Jesus, we all have birthmarks. And now they might look a little different from one disciple to the next, but there are going to be some birthmarks that we bear that we share together. And why? It's because we all come from the same Heavenly Father, that we've all been born of the Spirit into His family, that we all ought to resemble our Heavenly Father. And so we're going to share some birthmarks. And they will distinguish us 
from others around us, and today we're going to look at what those things might be. And if you look way back into the book of Exodus, and just to make the connection between the people of Israel and the people of the church, this is maybe one of the reasons why God looked at the people of Israel and said they are a chosen race, a holy nation. They're holy, they're set apart, they're distinguishable from all the other nations around them. And followers of Jesus, listen to me church folks, we ought to be distinguishable from those around us. And so today, I want to give you a list of five. Now this list is not comprehensive. You could probably come up with a hundred other distinguishable birthmarks of a disciple. But today I want to mention five. And you think about them as you maybe think of the stages in a human being's life or a person's life. So number one, the first distinguishable birthmark in the life of a believer is being born again. Being born again. Now, I want you to get back into your word right here in 2 Peter chapter 1. Look at it with me. It says, His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness. So stop for a second. Can we just be really thankful that the all things that, uh, that, that pertain to life and godliness have come not because we have earned them, but because of His divine power. Isn't that good news? That's good news. It's good news that every blessing under the heavenly places does not come because we've merited them, but because we've been born again by the mercy and grace of Jesus Christ. We have been born again. So it says, His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of Him who called us to His own glory and excellence, by which He has granted to us His precious and very great promises, so that Through them, those precious and very great promises, you may become partakers of His divine nature, having escaped from the corruption that's in the world because of sinful desire. So do you see the picture that that the author is giving to us right here in 1 Peter? He says, God's divine power has caused you to be set free from a life of corruption, and God's divine power has given you everything that pertains to life and godliness. That is what we call being born again. John, the beloved disciple, says it this way. In John chapter 3, he says, Unless a man, Jesus says, Unless a, a man is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Born again. You've got to be born again. What in the world does it mean to be born again? Um. Adrian Rogers, he says it this way. He says, the heaven-bound are heaven-born. And all of those heaven-bound that are heaven-born bear certain traits or birthmarks. So what does it mean to be born again? Now, we often think about salvation this way. Salvation, we think of it as we think of sin that separates us from God. Now, is that true? That our sin separates us from a holy God? Of course it is. And so we think that because our Sin separates us from God that we need a Savior who would come and die on the cross for our sin, forgive our sin, that we might be reconciled to God. Now, is that true also? Of course it is. But is that the only way that sin affects the human being before Christ? And the answer is no. Sin is not just something or simply something that separates from God us from God, although that is incredibly true, but... Sin is also likened to a nature. 
a nature that we inherit. Now, who do we inherit it from? We inherit it from our first father and mother. And in our catechism questions at our dinner table, we asked the first time we ever asked Ella, uh, who is your first father and mother? She said, mom and dad. And what we are trying to get at is, well, that's true for you, but also Adam and Eve, right? Adam and Eve is our first father and mother. Now, in the garden, when Adam and Eve rebelled against God, they sinned against him. They said to themselves, you know what? We'd be better gods than he is. We think he's just trying to steal our joy and take away all the fun that we would have. And so we're going to rebel against that commandment and do what we think is good for us. And so in the garden, they rebelled against God. And from that moment on, the trajectory of human history changed. There was, in that moment, sin entered into the world. Sin entered into humanity. And from that moment, every person born of Adam and Eve has been born with a nature that is not necessarily in the image of God. Now, we have been created in the image of God, but sin marred that image. And so our nature, we don't just have a sin problem, we have a nature problem. Here's what I mean by that. People say, well, I'm a sinner because I sin. And the Bible would say, you sin because by nature you're a sinner. Because way down deep inside who we are, we have this thing in us, this nature in us that wants to rebel against what God has laid out clearly in His Scriptures. Are you with me, church family? And so when we talk about being born again, what we have to understand is that we have a nature that is set at odds against God. And Romans even says that we are enemies of God, but God showed His love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Isn't that good news? That while I was a weak, sinful enemy of the Creator of the universe, while I was adamantly opposed to him he looked down from heaven and in love and mercy sent his son to die for those who crucified him that is good news isn't it that's good news and so christ doesn't just reconcile us to god but christ puts into us a new nature and begins to put to death that old nature And so that's why in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17, it says, Paul says, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new what? Creation. The old has passed away. The new has come. Paul says in Romans chapter 5, that in Adam all die because all sin. But in Christ all live. In Christ all live. We must be born again. We must be born again. And so the Baptist faith and message puts it this way. I think we have it on the screen for you. Baptist faith and message says the new birth is a work of God's grace. Whereby believers become new creatures in Christ Jesus. It's a change of the heart wrought by the Holy Spirit through conviction of sin. To which... The sinner responds in repentance toward God and faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Repentance and faith are inseparable experiences of grace. Now, 
What we must understand today is that if you want to uh, come into the kingdom, you come into king, the kingdom of God one way. And it's through being born of the Holy Spirit by faith in Jesus. That's the only way we come in. Now, a lot of people, you might have been raised in the church. You answer all the right questions. But not everybody who's been raised in the church and can answer all the right questions has been born of God. Well, I was, I was confirmed at this age. I went through this class. I went to this ministry in college. Does that make us born again? Not necessarily. Not necessarily. It's not an intellectual process. It's a Holy Spirit process. It's something that, that God does in us. Question, does God move first or do we move first? God moves first. God makes the first move and we respond to His mercy and grace and repentance and faith. It's when we realize that we have a great need for a Savior. And like Spurgeon said, I think it was Spurgeon, and I have a great Savior to meet my need. So my question for you today is have you experience this sin-forgiving, death-destroying, new life-bringing work of the Holy Spirit in your heart. If you haven't, you can today. But I want to encourage you, don't trust your upbringing. Don't trust your ability to answer the questions with the information in your head. Confess your need for a Savior. Realize that Christ is that all-sufficient Savior. Run to Him today, and you can be saved. The second thing that we need to experience is tangible transformation. Tangible transformation. This is a birthmark of a disciple. Tangible transformation. So first, we've got to be born. Second, we've got to be, see trans, tangible transformation in our lives. Look at verse 4. He says, by which he has granted to us his precious and very great promises, so that through them you may become partakers of his divine nature, having escaped from the corruption that's in the world because of sinful desire. Now, when you become a, a recipient of his divine nature, you will naturally experience the kind of transformation that you and others can see. Here's what I, I mean by this. Remember, we're walking through the stages of a child's life. They've got to be born. And then what happens? That first year, that first year of a baby's life, so many changes happen, don't they? So many changes happen. I remember back to the days when we arrived at Seneca Baptist Church. Miles was, how old was Miles? Three? Two and a half? Three? Something like that. Almost four. Almost four. Miles is correcting me right now. Sutton was ten months old. And Ella was a work in progress, right? But I remember that, and, and they've gone through such a transformational change over the seven years that I've been pastoring here at Seneca Baptist, both physically and mentally and, and even spiritually. My children have grown physically, they've grown mentally, they've learned stuff, and spiritually, Miles has become a follower of Jesus, and we're praying hard for our other two to trust Christ. 
I mean, just think about it. I mean, I, I go back and I think about one day Miles was learning his ABCs, and now I have to do everything that I can except cheat to beat him at chess. I mean, he will whoop me up, down, and sideways most times, and he'll do it in less than five or ten moves. It's infuriating. But Sutton, one, one week he's learning to walk. When we got here, that was his first step. He was learning to walk, and he did it right here. And now we go out on the boat, and he likes driving the boat. And every time we go fishing, he always catches more fish than I do. Again, infuriating. And one week Ella was born, since we've been here, Ella's been born, and, and now she's learning to do cartwheels while on the balance beam. I mean, that's the kind of transformation that you see in a child's life. And it's not, it's not gradual, it's drastic, but this is the kind of transformation that you and I, as disciples of Jesus, ought to see. And we look at that, and we look at a child's life, and we see the transformation, the change, both physically uh, mentally, emotionally, spiritually, and we go, that's so healthy, that's so good, that's so great. But um, when we think about tangible transformation in our own lives, are we as eager to see it? Are we as quick to see it? And is it as noticeable in our lives? Is it as noticeable? Because healthy children grow and healthy disciples of Jesus become mature disciples of Jesus. Just because we age in Christ does not necessarily mean that we mature in Christ. There's a difference. Have you noticed in our culture the average age of a man and a woman getting married has gone up significantly? Have you noticed that? It, the low side of it is like 27, 28 years old that, that guys and girls get married. That's the low side of it. So what have we done? We've prolonged adolescence. We've prolonged adolescence. It's, it's okay to uh, be a boy who can shave rather than growing into manhood or womanhood. And do you know in the church, we've also at times prolonged adolescence. Just because we grow and age and gray or lose doesn't mean we have matured in Christ. And so the question is not, are you growing tall, but are you maturing? It's not, are you aging or graying, but are you maturing in Christ? That's the question that we need to be answering before the Lord. It's looking more like our Savior day by day. We're called to imitate Jesus. And Paul says in Romans chapter 8, verse 29, he says, Those whom he foreknew, God also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son. So what's God's plan from eternity past for Christians? To be conformed into the image of the Son, Jesus. That's his plan for you. Or like Paul says in 1 Thessalonians 5, the will of God for you is your sanctification. That's God's plan for you. That we would resemble the Father more and more every day. That His passion, His character, His heart will be formed in us. So here's the question. Do you see tangible transformation in your life now? 
So if I were to ask you about your testimony, what God's done in your life, would you reach way back to salvation, or could you tell me today, this is what God's doing today, this is how I'm learning and growing today? What would happen if your child, your four-year-old, suddenly stopped growing? Didn't grow out this way, didn't grow up this way, wasn't able to speak more clearly, use his mind more, uh, uh, more deeply. What would happen? You would immediately say, something's wrong, we need to go to the doctor. So if you can't answer that question, what's God teaching you in your life right now? How am I growing right now in this season of my life, whether it's good or bad? How am I growing? How am I maturing in Christ? What tangible transformation am I experiencing? You need to maybe call the doctor. See, change in the Christian is not always so welcomed, is it? There's a guy named Eric Raymond. He, he says it this way. It's not that we don't like change. It's that we don't like to change. You see that? It's not that we don't like change. I'm fine with change in your life. I just don't like to change. Why? Because it's hard. It's uncomfortable. It's humbling, isn't it? It's painful. And Eric, he continues, Eric Raymond continues, he said, but as Christians we must remember that change is really at the heart of what it means to be a Christian. When we believe the gospel, we accept the truth that we need to change. It's at the heart of Christianity is transformational, tangible transformation. Three, third thing we need to see in our life is growing in knowledge and obedience. Let's look back at the word right here in verse 5, and we'll read 5 to 7. Peter says, for this very reason, make every effort... This very reason, what? That God's divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness because He has caused us to be born again, this divine power. So he says in verse 5, For this very reason, make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue, and virtue with knowledge, and knowledge with self-control, and self-control with steadfastness, and steadfastness with godliness, and godliness with brotherly affection, and brotherly affection with love. We need to be growing in knowledge and obedience. Knowledge and obedience. And I think we see it there in that passage that we need to supplement our faith with virtue and virtue with knowledge and then knowledge is followed by a list of things that we ought to be obedient to so knowledge and obedience for many of us christianity is no more than a pursuit of knowledge and that's what you've made christianity to be christianity to be i have a family member who says i really love the history of the bible but i don't know about this whole jesus being lord thing for him for this family member of mine, Christianity itself is a pursuit of knowledge, but not of obedience. And here's the problem with that. The problem with pursuing knowledge and not obedience is, and I've said this before to you, but Satan himself is very knowledgeable of God's Word, isn't he? Oh, he, he could... 
He could beat us at a Bible-quoting contest any day of the week. He knows more than we do about the Bible and about the nature and character of God. But he is not submitted to the Lordship of Christ. He's not living a life of obedience to the Father. So what makes us different than the demons? The demons knew who Jesus was, but they had not submitted to Him. Have you? Because it's not just about knowledge, it's about knowledge and obedience, and we need to be growing simultaneously in those things. The knowledge of God is intended to lead to humble obedience. We need them both. Why do we need them? Let's just clarify. It's not how we are saved. We are not saved by faith plus anything. We talked about this at length on Wednesday night. We had a great Bible study Wednesday night, and I'd love to invite you back this Wednesday night for Bible study at 545. It's going to be great as we look at uh, Hebrews chapter 10. It's not faith plus anything that, that grants us salvation because the moment that we add something to the sufficiency of Christ, we immediately take away from the gospel. Immediately we steal away that what Jesus did for us on the cross when we try to add anything to what he did on the cross. So it's not that these virtues or this knowledge or this obedience saves me, but rather it's a natural outflow of my salvation. The question we have to ask ourselves is, am I working for salvation or am I working from it? If I'm working for salvation, I need to repent of that and trust what Christ and Christ alone has done for you on your behalf uh, on the cross and through an empty tomb. But if I'm working from salvation, it's not so that I may earn a place in heaven, but because He has saved me and changed me and caused me to be born again, it's because of that I live out a life wanting to know Him more and wanting to obey Him more. So to have obedience without knowing the Lord intimately, to have obedience without knowing Him, it will lead us to a religious checklist. Have I done all that I was supposed to do? When Liz goes somewhere on a vacation or out of town, she leaves me, men, y'all know what I'm about to say, with a what? What kind of list? A honeydew list. And i gotta, I got to make sure that I check all those boxes. But the question is, am I checking those boxes to try to earn my way into her heart? Or am I checking those boxes because she loves me so dearly? Don't answer that. It's because, because of our relationship that I want to check those boxes, not to earn a relationship with her. But if, I'm, if I have no relationship with God while I'm trying to be obedient to this God, all I've got the checklist, I'm a Pharisee. It, we've got to have both. But to have knowledge without humble obedience, it leads us to pride. So that's why we've got to have knowledge and obedience. 
Obedience is an evidence of loving God. Read the book of 1 John and you'll see it. Saving knowledge of God always expresses itself in the fruit of obedience and is measured by concrete actions in the life of a disciple. Now, here's the problem with Christianity in America. Christianity in America, and that means us, the knowledge of God, the knowledge of His Word for many of us is way up here in the sky. You say, I don't know that much. Go somewhere else in the world and compare your knowledge of Scripture and of the character of God and of theology. Compare that to what they have, and they will know far less than you do. Am I right, Miss Paula? But most often they are far more obedient than we will ever be. See, I think in American Christianity, we know too much and obey too little, and we'd be better off as human beings, as followers of Jesus, as disciples of Christ, if we knew less and obeyed more. But here's the good news. You know everything you need to know to obey God fully today. You don't need a new revelation of God to obey Him today. You don't. And that's encouraging. That's good today. God doesn't bless our good intentions, but our obedience. So what could God do? As, I, as we think about this being a church of fully devoted disciples who are being transformed to look more like Jesus, growing in knowledge and obedience, what could God do? in our community, in our country, in our world, through churches of people growing in knowledge and obedience. What could He do? There's no limit to what God could do through us. Fourth, and I'm going to make these two quick because we're going to get to one of them next week a little bit. Fourth is increasing in love. Increasing in love. We see it right down here at the end of verse 7. He says... Remember, supplement your faith with virtue, virtue with knowledge, knowledge with self-control, self-control with steadfastness, steadfastness with godliness, godliness with brotherly affection, and brotherly affection with love. Two different words, brotherly affection and love. This is a self-giving, self-sacrificing word. This is the kind of love that gives itself on behalf of other people. Dale Partridge, he says it this way. He says, if your pursuit of doctrine and theology is making you more, I think it's on the screen, is making you more intelligent without making you more loving, compassionate, and humble. Your pursuit is not of Christ, it's of pride. Our pursuit of doctrine and theology should lead us to love. Love, why? Because the more I know about the content and character of God, the more I find out how I don't deserve to be loved by that same God that I'm learning about. The more I learn about His, in, His infinite nature, the more finite I see myself to be. The more I see His perfection, the more I see my sinfulness. And that should not lead me to pride, but love and compassion and mercy toward others. Increasing in love. Jesus sums up all the commands by teaching us to love God with all of our heart and soul and mind and strength and love your neighbor as yourself. He says all the laws fulfilled in those two commands. And John 
the beloved disciple in, in 1 John chapter 3 says it this way. He says, we know that we've passed out of death into life because we love the brothers. How do I know I've been born again? John gives you a, 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 an evidence because you love. Whoever does not love abides in death. And the last one that I want to mention, which we'll get to next weekend, and I'm so excited about next weekend already, but the last birthmark of a disciple is reproducing disciples. A disciple reproduces disciples. Your children, they're born, they begin to experience tangible transformation. They grow in knowledge and obedience. They begin to grow in love for others. And one day, uh, parents, if you're not praying for your children's spouses now, start. One day they're going to meet a godly man or woman and they're going to get married to them And God's design is for a man and a woman to marry and bear children as unto the Lord. It's so in creation, and it's just as equally true in discipleship. So I want want you to come in close for a moment. I'm going to ask you a question that's going to be hard for us. Who will be in the kingdom of heaven? Not because you saved them, but because you shared the gospel with them. Disciples reproduce. Who have you walked alongside to help them grow in their relationship with Christ? Who have you celebrated high highs and sat with them in the dirt on low lows? Did you struggle answering that question? That means that we, as individuals, need to repent of that. Why? Because that's sin. You've probably never heard a pastor say that before. It's not a sin of commission, but it's a sin of omission. How do you know that? Because when Jesus left this world. Some of his last words were, go, therefore, make disciples. Of all the things that he could have told us, and don't you wish he'd have stayed another minute and 
left another couple of books for us to live by, had been helpful. Of all the things that he could have said in his parting moments, make disciples of all nations. So disciples reproduce disciples. Now, as we look, as we conclude, we ask ourselves two reflection questions, and this is with you and the Lord. They're up on the screen. What areas are you struggling with most in that list of five birthmarks of a disciple? And the second one is an important question that you need to ask. Are you working for salvation or from it? You can't save yourself. That's why Jesus came. To save you. To save you. So maybe today we need to come to this altar, fall on our knees and repent. And others of us might need to come and fall down before the King of Kings and say, I've sinned against heaven and against you. Would you... Jesus, would you come into my life? I trust the life, the death, the resurrection of Christ. Would you come in to my life and save me? Make me new. Cause me to be born again. That I might live as a disciple of Christ. Would you stand with me? I'm going to ask Miss Margaret to just play for just a moment, and then we'll close with a couple songs and a couple announcements. Would you, right now, would you just bow before the Father? Just meet with Him. Father, reveal to us where we struggle, where we fall short. Reveal to us our sin. Reveal to us, Father, if we've ever been born again. If there's anyone here who's separated from you in that sinful nature, Father, would you send your Holy Spirit to make that heart alive, quicken it, and help them to see Christ today, to respond to Him with repentance and faith. Save them today, we pray in Jesus' name. Let's, let's sing together. Let's worship Him. And let's respond to Him as the Lord leads you. I'd love to pray with you as we sing. The